Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. from the holodeck i am michael your host you can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts just search from the holodeck our preferred podcast providers are itunes and spotify leave us a review give us a thumbs up and a five-star rating we need it hello david how are you how's it going everybody today we're going to be discussing an episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds titled Those Old Scientists, which is the seventh episode of its second season. This is the episode that many people have been clamoring for. <laughs> this is an episode that has been promoted for quite a while now. The much-anticipated Star Trek crossover between Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. I never thought it could happen. I never thought we would get here. I was wondering how they were going to pull this off because so both shows are so different from we, from each other. Really, David, are they? They are. Come I know. On, that's, are. I'm being sarcastic. Are they? I mean, one's a cartoon, one's live action. One's, live one's action. a silly riff on Star Trek nostalgia and re- self-referential treatment beyond what is humanly <laughs> possible. And uh, and the other is more of a serious, a serious endeavor. take on it. Yeah. yeah, and like, especially getting those characters, especially when our initial pictures were released and leaked out of Boimler and and Mariner, and I'm like, like they're actually going to turn the turn those actors into live action. I'm glad. How they the hell are them. they going to do it? I'm glad they use them. Oh, absolutely. I think it was. It's only fair because. For one thing, as a Lower Decks fan, I'm happy to see those two get their props. Because they, in Lower Decks, they've made the story of Mariner and Boimler really, really one of the, the heart of Lower Decks. So it's really good to see uh, Jack Quaid. I think that it's Jack, right? Yeah, Jack Quaid. I Jack believe, Quaid. Yeah. And see him to be able to play Boimler. And bring Boimler to life r- relatively realistically. Like, and if you watch Lower Decks, Boimler is like so neurotic and so out there, you know, to the level beyond human comprehension. I kept trying to figure out how the hell are they going to make this character work? But sure enough, because bringing it to live action and also showing the fact that Jack Quaid's a really good actor. He made Boimler believable. Well, we all knew Jack Quaid was a good actor. If you watch The Boys, you know the guy is 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 great at what he does. I mean, he's also from, you know, his father is Dennis he's, Quaid. Dennis Quaid's that, amazing. He's got those genes. He's got the DNA for the, for the acting chops. Yeah, 
I was a little uh, cautious going in, just wondering what they were going to do with the two of them, you know, Mariner and, and Boimler, how it would work. You know, are they going to make them act like more realistic versions of themselves? You know, because we know whenever you take, look at Star Wars, for example, the animated characters, when they're translated over to live action, they're not their animated forms. Now, yeah. Their characterizations, their stories, their history is identical. Obviously, it's all canon. But the way the performance are is vastly different. You can't have, you know, for example, Star Wars Rebels, which at times is very kiddie. You can't translate that over to live action and expect anyone to take it seriously. Oh, yeah. And yet the Strange New Worlds producers decided, no, fuck that. We're going to keep them exactly how they, how they are. are. And we'll make it work. And that's quite the risk they took. Because if it was me and I was given this, you know, in script form, I was like, no, let's let's neuter <laughs> them a bit. Let's give them their personalities. Let's give them their history. But these cartoon antics just don't belong in live action. But it, it did work. It did work. It did Especially in its own way. Now, if they were to bring them back again, you can't constantly do this. No, and, no. And if they ever make a live action version of these characters, they can't, they can't do that in an ongoing series. It would be silly and just outright laughable, but it laughable. did work in the context of this specific episode. And I think that's the important caveat to this episode to treat uh, how to look at this episode is like, it works here. At this moment, at this moment, the way it's the way they actually brought it all together, all the puzzle pieces fit perfectly. We just can't replicate this again mm -hmm. without actually just going to the well and just copy and pasting what we did, you know, and at that point, it's kind of like then then it gets then the gimmick becomes boring. Right. Yeah. And the only reason the only reason why I figured it worked here. You had two solid actors in Jack Quaid and Tony Newsom. And honestly, the only one I was really worried about, I know everyone was talking about Boimler, but like the one that I was really worried about was Mariner. Cause, Cause she isn't an experienced live action actor. Like Jack Quaid is. Yeah. On top of that, the character of Mariner just would not fit. In normal, in normal Star Trek circles, Mariner does not fit anywhere. She's that's she's she's one of those special characters that like, like she works in lower decks, but just her just her char characterisms wouldn't work in a in a series like Strange New Worlds. But you know, tickle me pink. It worked here, but I think it was also because we didn't get Mariner for a full episode. We only got her for like probably a quarter to a half of the episode. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what worked because you had the, the more, the more veteran of the two actors in Jack being the focus. Now let me um, make a retraction here. The actress that plays Mariner, uh, Tawny Newsom, she is a live action actor, but most of her experience seems to be in either extreme comedy or yes. animation or animation. So, but listen, she did a great job overall. And I will say that the episode, though it was mostly just a casual inconsequential episode, 
it can be viewed as having some greater purpose behind simply the fun because uh, yeah. it did bring into focus a couple of interesting things. Number one, Pike's impending future and some interesting thoughts on living in the moment, which goes right back to what we talked about a couple episodes and the, the notions of stoicism that yes. they have been using to build out Pike's characterization. And then, of course, for Nurse Chapel, the thought that perhaps she and Spock are not destined to be together. Together. So we'll get into that in just a moment. But Dave, what were your overall feelings on the episode and what parts really stood out for you? I know you have kind of riffed a bit for the opening few minutes here, but get more specific because I'm curious because you and I are different types of Star Trek fans. Yeah. Yes, we agree on a lot, but your idea of a good time and fun is different from yours. Very different than than mine because i'll be honest if i was the showrunner of strange new worlds and they brought me this script i would fire the person who brought me that script <laughs> you'd be like Greg, get out it, it wouldn't out happen i don't care how how great the idea would be i'm like no fuck that i just it's not my thing but i think david you are different you are it's not that i'm narrow-minded when it comes to star trek because there are great silly episodes throughout all of star trek that are fantastic just this idea in itself just doesn't quite work for me, even though it was executed fine. When it comes to my taste, it's just not my thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, that was the caveat that I was going into this episode. Originally I was like, you go, okay, this is going to either be a really strange, one of the stranger episodes and very experimental episode. Like, so I went in thinking, you know, like, okay, have an open mind. Like when I go in, when I went into uh, short treks, when I watched the short treks from that, they released in Star Trek a long time ago, I approached it like it was going to be a very experimental episode, but then because they released it at San Diego comic-con and I found that really surprising. They just launched the episode in the middle of the in, in the middle of con, but then it made me think, okay, this episode's going to be kind of like a really fan service, fan service, mainly meant for fun type of moment for the fan base of strange new world. Not going to be anything, you know, groundbreaking and it probably won't deal with any, uh, deep narratives to push the story forward. It's just simply there to, Here's a, here's, here's an episode of Star Trek. Here's something for the fans to have fun with. And it's going to be, it was because they wanted to cross over their two strong series. That hit, that hit me right in the, in the face when I realized when they released it at Comic-Con, the reason for, the reason for this episode was more because they know that Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks outside of, you know, Picard season three and out, uh, discovery. These two series are the most fan embraced from the get go. Yes. Picard season three is embraced by the fan, but Picard season one and two, you can't say that. Can't say that basically the entire fan base embraces all of Picard. I think Star Trek fans who have given lower decks a chance 
have embraced it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's being viewed by every Star Trek fan. Cause it's not. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of fans who have not it, it but it's also like discovery. There's fans that have embraced discovery like me and you we've, we've embraced the discovery and watched it completely, but there is a fan base that basically does not like discovery. Correct. Where there isn't a lot of people who dislike lower decks. Exactly. Yeah. I get your point. So they took their two more fan friendly series and mashed them together. So that even made me more think, okay, this, this, this week, it's going to be a light week for me and you <laughs> see David, you're, you're so not cynical because you know how I viewed that. Oh, they released an episode early for the Comic-Con. That's because they had nothing else to release. <laughs> they have no news. We're in the midst of a strike. So there's nothing that they can really get into. So let's just release an episode early. That's how I looked at it. That's how you looked at it. But I'm also far more cynical than you are. Yeah. You're, you're not as cynical as I am. And that's the thing about like, especially when I started watching this episode, when it opened up with the opening of Lord Dex, except that it was the enterprise. I'm like, okay. I like that. I like that. And I liked how it opened up with just the animation first, because you open up with Lord Dex and you establish the the start of your episode and for me my feelings for it at first i had to actually turn off my brain at the end because it was a weird part of me that basically was like going i really like this episode i hated the ending dave but the ending like the last bit where they where the strange new worlds where they're in animation <laughs> they're yeah, animated I, I absolutely hated it I, uh, it broke the fourth wall. It shattered the fourth wall in a way that you should not do in Star Trek. Star Trek is a serious fucking show. Oh, it's a wrecking ball. It's a wrecking ball. They just, and, and now this is fucking canon. Them talking to the audience and disrupting continuity to draw attention to itself as a TV show is forever, it's forever canon. canon. And, but the thing is, if you think about it, Franks has done this before. Jonathan Franks has done this at Enterprise. We all know how Enterprise ended. That's different, David. But that's it's, totally different. It was in a holodeck and he was viewing it to learn from the past to make a decision that he was confronted with. Yes. So it, it's different. They didn't break the fourth wall. They just turned it into a holodeck program, but it was still was in universe. It wasn't a TV show. It yes. wasn't saying, Hey guys, this is the TV show, by the way. I think they, that's where they went too far at the very end. Yeah. Where they basically broke the fourth wall. Like, no, 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 don't do that. You had everything. Okay. Up to that point. But the, but basically by the end of it, I was like, I was split. I was, I really liked the episode. I thought it had its funny, great moments. My favorite, one of my moments that absolutely stand out. And it's just because when I took a step back and I said, the reason why this particular scene hits so hard for me, because I like lower decks. I've watched it from the very beginning and Boimler and himself, his story is, I'm sorry, me and you have joked about it, but Boimler is us. That's us. That, that is who we, if we were ha to have an avatar in star Trek, Boimler's our avatar. You know, he's the geeky guy who basically would, Stop and scream. It's the Titan. And the base when the Titan shows up and the way I wouldn't run away from Una, Dave. Oh, come on. 
I wouldn't run away from I her. I would. I'd be. I'd be intimidated. I I'd wouldn't. be intimidated I'd be like, if I. What's up, Una? If if, if Jerry I'm Ryan, ransom, okay. If Jerry I'm not Ryan, boy. in her prime, in her prime, walked up to me, walked up to you in seven of nine garb. Come on, you wouldn't be a little in- intimidated. Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> but I would, you know, smoke some weed, chill out, <laughs> chill out. Like, hold on one second. I'll turn around. You'd see like a puff of smoke coming out. Puff of smoke. Like, okay, I'm ready. What's up? <laughs> but that's exactly. But what Boimler did, I'm sorry, was what what every Star Trek fan would do. No, I get your point. Yeah. So like. My favorite scene. I did laugh my fucking ass off when, when Boiler Power walked away. Yes. The best thing by far. And the thing I loved about that was like that also just subtly it tied to Una's story because Una was worried that Boimler was, oh, in the future, her fate is is not good. Which that I feel was an interesting way to work into that that meta aspect where you're speaking to the audience because we don't know what happened to Una. What happened to Una? So it was playing into the fact that the audience doesn't know Una's future. Yeah. So that was interesting because it played into that aspect. It played into that aspect. But the the moment that I was uh, mentioning before was Boimler talking to Pike because that was such an awesome scene, not just as a Lord Dex fan, but also as the narrative to Pike. Yes. Because that was the time when I said, okay, I like this episode because it finally, it finally did something for Pike because Pike up to this point has been on standstill a a bit. Yeah. He's been a little static. His development this season, it hasn't been, it's not been nearly as strong as the first season. Let's get into this a little bit more now, now that I understand what you liked your favorite moments, we can have a better conversation now. So the episode itself was directed by Jonathan Franks and written by Catherine Lynn and Bill Wolkoff. As far as success, meaning did the writer successfully bring these two series together in this crossover event? And I'd say absolutely. Yeah. It is a success. Despite some of my, my criticisms based on my own personal tastes, it was a successful crossover. It goes without saying that the two shows have vastly different tones. Yes. Uh, which does include a performative component, right? I mean, Lower Decks has a more flamboyant flair because it's a comedic cartoon. Mission accomplished from a directing and acting perspective. Uh, they took a meta approach like Lower Decks typically does, breaking the fourth wall. Boimler and Mariner struggle to fit in. They stand out due to their loud behavior, specific Star Trek references, and character caricature type moments. You know, being a cartoon, it's far more kinetic. So those are the things that I was thinking about going into this episode. Okay, how is this all going to work? And they were able to mesh those two things together, especially when Una and I believe Spock specifically call out their references. Yes. And they say... Is it just me or are there references oddly specific? So things like that help smooth the stylistic aspects of Lower Decks because Lower Decks is pretty much nothing but references. That's what the show is. Yes. It is nothing but Star Trek references. So if you were to bring in a Lower Decks crossover and not do that, 
one might wonder, well, why even do a crossover if you're not going to adhere to what governs that specific show? Why just, just do another crossover with another live action Star Trek? So you're going to have to bring in those elements because then you're just going to shrug as a fan and say, well, there's really no reason to have this crossover. But they adhered to what that show is by calling it out in certain in certain ways, because you got to also realize that there's probably a lot of strange new worlds viewers that never watched lower deck. So they probably didn't immediately understand why they talk the way they do all of their references. And that was a nice way to draw attention to it. So I did like that as well. I did too, because like also just throwing my, throwing my rash reasoning brain into it is kind of like, I started thinking to myself and said, well, how would to, to Boimler and, and uh, Mariner, these characters that they're meeting, they are not just like celebrities. They're not like meeting, say, Captain Picard. They are meeting essentially legends. They're, yeah. they're meeting people like it'd be like going like me, me meeting Abraham Lincoln. But why does everybody need to be a legend? That's something that did irk me. Like, why is there no one in the world of Star Trek? Is there anyone just normal? Is there anyone just kind of mediocre? Every single person in Star Trek, seemingly, when I'm talking about Star Trek, when I say every single person, I'm talking about people that are in our shows. Why are all of them super relevant in history? Because in all actuality, do we really remember the navigator of a battleship from World War II? This is true. Do we really remember the doctor that was stationed on one battleship among hundreds that seems a little silly, especially when Boimler called out Ortega's as being a war hero. Really? Yeah. And I, I, I do. That part got under my skin because we're getting to a point where it's just, it's incestuous to where everything now is a reference and every character now is somehow remembered in the history, in the history book, hundreds of years later, you remember every single person. Like I could understand, I can understand if you were to say the uh, only like certain characters like Spock, Pike, and Archer, Una. Pike makes sense. Archer and Pike, and makes the sense. reason why is because Archer was the first captain that not only f- was the first person to to be a captain of a warp capable vessel, right? Yeah, a warp was a warp five vessel. Is that what it was? An Enterprise. But he was also the man who ushered in a new era for human civilization because of what he did with the Federation. Yes. For all intents and purposes, he is the reason why the Federation formed. He was the diplomat out there first blazing trails and brokering deals that united alien species, right? So that makes sense for there to be some historical reference for Archer and even Pike being the captain of. The Enterprise, the Enterprise, Enterprise. that makes sense. Captain Kirk was saving the world. Picard saving the world. Those types of things make sense. Yes. The only time it seems strange when everyone has some historical relevance. I agree. I agree with you when they brought up the whole Ortegas thing, because it was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of a bit much. You're just making shit up now. 
Exactly. Like everyone is, uh, is uh, she's a war hero. When did we see this? <laughs> are we going to see this? What are we, what's going on? And listen, I've been wanting more Ortega stuff. So this isn't me undermining her relevance in Star Trek. It's like, well, okay, you just told us. Like, we've never heard this we before. heard this. <laughs> and that's the thing. That is where you have to be careful as a writer. Because I'm not going to say that the writing here was perfect. It has its chink in, chinks in the armor. Where <laughs> I could say it because I'm Asian, but it has its dents in its armor because, like, you have those moments, like what you said, Ortegas, the wrecking ball in the very end, because they just had to push the boundary even further. And I was like, going, no, know your boundaries, know your lanes, stay in your lanes as a as a writer. It's funny because, like. Me and you, back in the day when we were in writing class, what is the one rule we've always been told? Know the rules, know how to bend them. Don't bring them. Don't break Once them. Once you know the rules, you can, you can bend, bend the rules or, or break the rules. You, could, you can say break. That's fine. But either way, know your rules. Know your you, lanes. That's the point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, David, the, the strength, the absolute strength, because this is something that I've been harping on pretty much all season is bringing back relevance to Pike because he's kind of lost this season. Pike's awareness of his eventual fate for me was the strength of the episode. When Boimler, I'm going to have you express this idea a bit better in a minute when it comes to Boiler's side, Boimler's side, because you understand that character probably a bit more than I do. Pike's awareness of his eventual fate and this idea that he didn't want the birthday party. Yes. And when you take what they did with him in the season finale of last year, and they essentially said that his future is not as important as others. We had said, well, what a sad realization that is for him, that he doesn't really have a history and the history he's going to have isn't all that relevant when compared to people like Spock and potentially Kirk, right? Well, this gives him that, that win that people do remember him in the future and that he is important in the future. And that's something that brings back the existential dread that he may be feeling, but it gives you that silver lining or gives him that silver lining that, okay, you know what? My future is bleak. But at least all of it matters. Yes. And that I will be remembered, that I will have a legacy. And when Boimler says that don't do it for yourself necessarily, but do it, I'm paraphrasing here, but do it for the fact that you're not always going to be here for these people. Yeah. So do it for them. Do it for them. That and was really powerful and by far the, the best part of the episode because it was dual meaning. If you watch Lower Decks... It meant a lot for Boimler as well. Yeah, because that was that was Boimler's story from the very get-go. He had, what, last season? He had this whole existential He had arc. an existential crisis because he didn't know what his purpose was. Yeah. And then at the end of the... At the end of because he had a clone that was far superior in far every superior, way. Far superior, and then his clone dies, and then he has an existential crisis. Then he has a 
near death experience where he goes and sees George Takai. You know, you guys out there listening to us need to actually watch Lord Dex to see this. But like, it is a fun show. It is a fun but show. Don't, don't expect a whole lot of greatness other than it's really fun. Yeah, but this moment is actually really cool because it's a callback to everything that Boimler has been up to. And it's his moment to literally look at a person that he sees as his hero and tell his hero, Hey, you know, we should spend more time with those people that we care about because at the, for, for lower decks fans, that was Boimler's whole point. Why he came back from the Titan when he had everything going for him. And he decided that he wanted to go back to the Cerritos because he wanted to be what? Surrounded by his friends that care about him. Yeah. And it was like when he looks at Pike and basically tells Pike that, uh, I give me a sec here. I had it in front of me. Oh, Pike might want to spend more quality time with the friends with the limited time that he does have. There you go. Instead of, instead of thinking, Oh, I'm going to die, you know, this whole time and focusing on that single point, you're forgetting that basically you have some time to spend with the friends you have now. Yeah. And when that happened, Oh dude, that was a, such a powerful moment for me because I'm like going, I just saw this character in a cartoon have this crisis. And it was the ultimate lesson of him that basically his ragtag band in the lower decks, that's his friends. That's his family. Yeah. And he tells that to Pike and finally you get to see Pike come to the realization. Yeah. He cares about his, the enterprise crew, but if he keeps worrying about his destiny and making sure about the future, he's going to miss out on the present and missing out on that time. There you go. You worded it better than I did. You're that's perfect way of saying it. And that's the strength of the episode right there, because not only is it just great, it's fantastic. What a way to frame Pike in a way that we haven't really been given this season, it's more consistent with what they were doing with him last season. Yeah. And while doing that, they also realign yet again, his resolve as a, as a bit of a stoic. Yeah. You know, even though I don't think he out, I don't think in universe, the character thinks I'm a stoic, but the writers themselves are using notes of stoicism to craft his characterization as yes. we discussed, I don't know, two or three episodes ago. Yeah. And here again, because that's the very, what you just explained, how Boimler, his whole conversation with Pike is, that's, that's literally a page taken from the Stoics. The Stoics. Yeah. And, and it's like, he's, he's learning that from some lower decks, some lower decks, you know, nobody. And Let's it just shows it. a great maturity for people who follow Lower Decks. It shows a mature side of Boimler that we don't often see. We don't see. Yeah. And that's the reason why also, if there is a knock on this episode, I would say that this feels more like a Lower Decks episode than a Strange New Worlds episode because it does more for the characters of the characterization of Boimler. Yeah. And because it just- showed maturity in him. And maybe this was a creative attempt to just promote Lower Decks, you know, to help that show stay alive. So only time will tell. Hopefully people do make that transition and go check out the show. Because even though I wasn't, I didn't feel like this was the greatest episode of all time, I do enjoy Lower Decks. Yeah. 
because honestly, lower decks is supposed to be taken not seriously. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way you can take that show seriously. There's a Rick and Morty vibe. So people out there, if you're new to that type of show, to lower decks, that's the the showrunner. Mike McMahon was one of the showrunners for Rick and Morty. So if you understand that show and it's comedic flair, I guess it's very much on par with that. It's not as uh, sexually explicit, but it does go there at times, (laughs) but it's not consistent like in Rick and Morty. Yeah. Okay, David. So on top of that, we had the chapel and Spock stuff and there wasn't a whole lot, but there was enough to continue the idea of, of what's going to be happening with them down the road. And I'm sure what happened in this episode in the turbo lift between Boimler and chapel will be strung out through the rest of the season. There's going to be some introspection on the part of chapel, maybe not Spock, but chapel herself. If she feels like there's no future between the two of them, I don't see her continuing with a relationship like this because she's a practically minded character. Well, it makes it even more complicated when Boimler has a discussion, not with just Chapel, but with Spock. Because Spock now comes to the realization that he's in, he, he, his destiny could be great, but there is something about his emotions that he might have to forego. Because, like, remember the thing that freaked out Boimler, and I love I love the joke that basically Boimler thought he changed history because he saw Spock smiling. <laughs> and I was like going, oh, God, thank God Boimler's going to act. Hopefully they'll figure out how to fit this in. And sure enough, they did. They fit it in narratively with Chapel and Spock. And now you have this a little bit of further dynamic with them where it's kind of like Spock obviously wants to be with Chapel. But he also now has that understanding about there might be greater th- something, something else that is more important for him. But he has to make sacrifices to do it. Yeah, possibly. I don't know if it was more. It was. It seemed to be less about him and more about Chapel. No, absolutely. I think it was yeah. more. It, there, there was more on the Chapel side. But I think he's more concerned that he wasn't going to be getting his dick wet anymore. He's always. <laughs> what you, would you fucking say? What'd Why you, you ruin this for? Why you cock blocking <laughs> me, bro? You future time traveling wimp. But like the chapel, but I do agree with you. The chapel stuff is, I think, much more stronger, yeah. because it just makes that it makes that relationship between Chapel and Spock even more. Strong. I don't know why every single thing they do with Chapel, it just is really gearing up for basically being really sad. It's gonna be heartbreaking. It's gonna sure. be heartbreaking. Yeah, and it should be. I mean, that's that's. I think we all see it. I think that's the writing on the wall. I think you have to at go least there. the people who are aware of Star Trek's history and, and Spock's history and chapel is a very, obviously a very small part of that history. Unless we find out that, as I said, a couple episodes ago, the reason why Spock decided to do the colonar, the colonar was because he was heartbroken because the relationship didn't work. Oh my God. If they go that route, Dude, if they do that, suddenly she becomes extremely relevant to the shaping of who Spock becomes, becomes. and that would be actually a smart play. Okay, so there were some complaints about the episode 
that I saw throughout the social media webs. Oh, of course, there's trolls out there. And there were people that were obviously defending it, saying that this isn't new to Star Trek, that Star Trek has done these fun, self-aware episodes before, and they mentioned trials and tribulations from Deep Space Nine, and they said that that strikes a balance between humor and taking you know ongoing character story arcs seriously, but also calling attention to itself. But I would disagree with that rebuttal because it's vastly different. Trials and Tribulations was an episode that was aware of an in you and let me start over. <laughs> Trials and Tribulations was an episode that was aware of its in-universe historical reference points. Not that it was aware of it being a TV show. Yes. And also also thematically too because like let's face it with Lord Dex the difference between this and doing trials and tribulations, at least we can say trials and tribulations still had the matching themes, you know, or matching tones as it were. You didn't have one show be a comedy and another show be a drama. Yeah. The, what D space nine did was found a reason to have a fun episode that actually introduced the temporal agents at the end of the episode. So it was a relevant episode while also having fun by playing in the original series sandbox, but they never broke the fourth wall per no. se. This episode was aware of its in-universe historical nuance because it was celebrated by continually breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. It was obvious that they were aware of its TV show roots. And that's where I ultimately had a problem with the show. I don't think they should have done that. I don't want Star Trek to break the fourth wall. And unfortunately, though, that is a element from Lower Decks. Because if you do a Lower Decks episode... That's that, what the whole thing is. Yeah, that's what the whole thing is. So if you do a Lower... Anything tied to Lower Decks, you have to have that tone of fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a Lower Decks crossover because it doesn't feel like a Lower Decks episode. I think they could have pulled back a bit, but also Lower have. Decks is canon, though. So, I mean, did they really do anything in this specific episode that they haven't done in lower deck. So if my problem is with them breaking the fourth wall, then the root of my issue is not strange new worlds itself, but lower, lower decks. decks as a whole. Yeah. And that creates a whole entire type of paradox for me as a fan, because I enjoy lower decks, but at the same time, I'm like, fuck, this is Canon. And I mean, they've had Q in the episode. They have mentioned <laughs> O'Brien's, you know, statue. <laughs> statue. There was a lot of things that they do to break the fourth wall. But because it operates a different medium, a yes. different space, I yeah. have swallowed that and just dealt with it. But once you cross over into the live action medium, suddenly I start to have a little, a little more issues. Now, in, in the act of fairness, I will say that my issues will not reflect in my final thoughts or my RMD score because... That wouldn't be fair. You have to judge episodes based on what they are. And when you look at what they did with this episode and how it was written, it was just fine. It was yeah. adequate. So my RMD score 
is 88% for this episode. Dave, what about you? And give me your final thoughts. My final thoughts of this episode, as I said, I went into this very conflicted. I left very conflicted. But after thinking about it, I really liked this episode. I gave this, I gave, I, I ended up giving this uh, a particular episode a 90 because I felt it stayed true to both series. I do agree with you. They could have actually made this just a little bit less lower decks than Strange New uh, uh, and more Strange New Worlds in what I would figure is tone and feel because like there were jokes that landed, but there were also jokes that just did not land um, and moments that didn't land. You know, like I'm with you. The last, the last moment where the that's enterprise the only crew, thing that didn't land, everything that didn't else land didn't with work. Me. That didn't land with me because that's, yeah. that's not what that show is built for. You know, that's not what that show is built to do. If they were to do it, say in the lower decks, quote unquote, lower decks universe, then it'd been okay. That makes much more sense. But because they did it in the Strange New Worlds verse, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And I get it. Like, the, the drink was, was, you know, apparently hallucinogenic. Yes. I, I get that. But overall, I think the narrative, the narrative story that they were telling in this one hit me more. And I felt it flowed really nice with, between all the characters really nicely. But I also have to tell myself, and I had to take a step back and say, how much is that me saying that as a person that's looking at this critically and saying that the script is really good? Or is this me as a fan of Lower Decks? Because the stuff with Boimler was really good, but the only reason why it's good is because I know about Boimler's, Boimler's story. Makes sense why. <laughs> now it makes sense why Pike, uh, Boimler tells this to Pike because Boimler went through it. Yeah, and it also makes sense that it was him that said it because he's the fanboy in Lower Deck. He's the fanboy in Lower Deck. And Decks. he understands all these characters and where they came from. And maybe that's the justification for him calling out Ortegas as being a war hero. A war hero. Because he's the fanboy. He loves everything from the past. And and on top of that, the, the reason why also I threw out there is, okay, he's probably fanboying, fanboying over everybody is because they're on the Enterprise. We all know Lower Decks set the standard that basically the USS, there is a hierarchy in ships and the Enterprise is all the way up, the, all the way up there. They're, they're, they're considered the tip top of Starfleet while the USS Cerritos and Lower Decks crew, they're considered scum class. Scum so. class. <laughs> is that a new class of Starship? Because uh, that's the one I would be definitely the captain of, well, the we, scum class. If you watch Lower Decks, and I'm telling this to all our the people listening to us, if you watch Lower Decks, yeah, you would probably say, yeah, the USS Cerritos, they are scum class. <laughs> now, it's interesting, David. There's one moment of them breaking the fourth wall that I did like, and it was when Ransom was talking about how hot <laughs> Una is. Because if you guys aren't aware, Jerry O'Connell, yes. the voice actor for Ransom, is actually married to Rebecca. That was one of the jokes that landed for Remain. Yes. Yeah. Where basically he tells, he says, oh yeah, I have that poster of that hot, hot Starfleet officer. I'm like going, ah, Jerry Ryan saying that his wife is hot. Okay. That's funny. That yeah. is actually funny. Yeah, that was good. So I do have some final thoughts. I don't, I'm not going to get into it. It's just me talking about, 
you know what? I'll get into it and then I'll finish it in a Patreon discussion. I don't know if it'll be out this week or next week, but it's it's not a diatribe. It's just something I've been writing, actually working on that I'll probably hopefully get published in an academic journal. But it goes into the the trends of postmodernism in film and just say media as a whole and the issues. Um, the postmodern trend in film, particularly in its relentless regurgitation and worship of the past, has led to a problematic an incestuous, incestuous cycle of nostalgia-driven content. We see it all over the place. Everything that we get is just nostalgia. This movement in cinema and television has become more of a crutch, in my opinion, than a creative endeavor. And it, it actually inhibits the development of original and innovative ideas and or stories that can actually stand on its own merit. Nothing nowadays seems to be able to stand in its own merits. Now, of course, there's going to be a certain amount of intertextuality, right, David? Yeah. If you're dealing with a franchise, there's always going to be those things that you have to pull over. But the trends we see today are not just that. Even the postmodern trends of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s were not like this. You know, for example, Tarantino is a postmodernist artist, in yes. my opinion. So is George Lucas. So is Steven Spielberg, Sergio Leone, the, the master of the spaghetti westerns. They make movies about movies in a lot of ways. The yeah. things that they grew up watching is what inspired, inspired them. them. Yes. What we're getting now is regurgitated concepts, just slightly reformulated to fit new audiences. Um, and then just outright blatant aspects of self-referential treatment throughout an entire movie or TV show. One of the major drawbacks of this trend is the excessive reliance on nostalgia to engage audiences by continually revisiting and rehashing past successes. And it seems like these filmmakers are prioritizing pandering to established fan bases, overtaking risks and exploring actual new storytelling frontiers. Yes. And in my opinion, this mentality ultimately stifles the potential for groundbreaking storytelling and leaves audiences yearning for something genuinely fresh and original. Now we may be pacified in the immediate sense. Like for example, Star Trek Picard season three was great and it was well-written. No question. But what made it stand out was all of its nostalgia. Yes. Bringing back things that we've seen before. And luckily, Harry Matalas, who is a great showrunner, was able to make it work. But these ideas are going to run thin really quick. Because they're, every idea has an ending. And even fans who may want this, because I want this too. But what I want is the spirit. I want the spirit. I'm about nostalgia. I want something to feel like it belongs, right? Yes. But that doesn't mean I want to see the same things over and over and over again. That's why I stand by the fact that I feel like Star Trek Discovery is one of the best Star Trek franchises within this new era because it dares to be different. 
It's trying to do something different. It has problems, but it's trying to stand on its own two feet. Yes. Star Trek Picard season one, even though I had major problems with his execution, the writing was not good. There's a reason why Shaban was sent home with a pink slip. <laughs> I was about to say, did, did they send him home with like a detention thing? <laughs> because the execution was not good. It just wasn't. But the, the ingredients were original. Yeah, the ingredients were. It was fantastic. Taking things we're familiar with and making something new. That yes. is what we need to do with stuff like Star Trek. And fortunately, because it didn't do well, and people, most of the Star Trek fans as a whole, didn't really get on board with that season. There are a large group of fans who did because they like Picard. But there are a lot of, a lot of criticism from a lot of different people, from actual critics, academics, as well as fans. that said the series just fell off. It just wasn't written very well. But because studios are stupid, they didn't understand that it was the writing. The problem was the writing. Not the idea. If Mantelis came in and said, you know what? I know how to write. I'm going to continue what Shaban did. We probably would have gotten more of season one style of Star Trek, but written well. And that probably ultimately would have gone, gone well with the fans or went well with the fans. But instead, Mantelis, though a good writer, these aren't negatives. He fell into comfortable territory, safe territory. Yes. And Star Trek can't sustain itself that way because what we're going to do is every cycle, every 10 years, what are we going to do? Redo things again? Yeah. Remember when we did this? That, that has an expiration. What's going to happen when you can't do that? When Patrick Stewart, sad <laughs> to say, he's an old man. He's not going to be around much longer. Oh, you're going to recast him and do a a other another series in his young life. Probably it's going to happen eventually. Probably going to happen. Unfortunately, but this is the reason why star Trek died. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before the three household names, Patrick Stewart's Picard, William Shatner's Kirk and Litter Nimoy's Spock. Those are the three. And I would say DeForest Kelly's McCoy four characters out of 50 years are household names. And of course, people know Decay. Decay has gotten famous over the last 20 years. But we're because talking about their a, characters. Their characters. People know of their characters. People who don't even watch Star Trek know Captain Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Picard. That's who they know. And to some degree, they know Brent Spiner's data. But mostly it's those, those the previous four I've mentioned. Mm -hmm. When you have four household names in 50 years, you have a problem. Yeah. You have a problem with a franchise. You're not going to be able to su survive. It's not sustainable. So you have to start trying to break through that barrier and create new names that people can rally behind because Star Trek cannot survive in a vacuum. So that's all I'll say about it. Even I agree with you. Even like people might be saying, well, look at, uh, look at the success of Pike. But even with that, Pike's a character that's already been established. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Let's end the show. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.